0: Do Tyrannosaurs like drumsticks?
1: Welcome to Answers News for Monday, December 18th, 2023.
0: And welcome to the last Answers News before Christmas. And in today's top story, we found a Tyrannosaurus fossilized last meal. My name is Brian Osborne, joined with Dr. Jennifer Rivera, Rocket Rob. And we're gonna jump right into the first article for today. First Tyrannosaur fossil discovered with its last meal perfectly preserved in its stomach. And really the article is what it sounds like it's about. They find a tyrannosaur fossil, actually a gorgosaurus, a variation of a tyrannosaur. And inside they found some really well-preserved remains in its stomach of what it actually ate, which is not surprising from a biblical worldview, but it is pretty surprising from the secular evolutionary perspective.
1: And it was really kind of cool how they found it here because they were kind of examining the fossil, and they thought they maybe saw something protruding, and they removed what was, I think, identified as a rock, you know, from the... I think it was around the rib cage or something. Oh, yeah. The article yep. says, and then once they pulled that out, it revealed what they found were, you know, these bones that they saw. their are fossilized bones and um, of what they believed to be. What they would say is to what they call bird-like dinosaurs, of course, but we would say without question, likely just birds.
2: It's very confusing. Anytime you read these articles, they always say bird-like dinosaurs, and so you never know whether or not they're talking about a bird or a dinosaur. Really going back to the evolutionary worldview, you know, that says dinosaurs evolved into birds. But really, when we're talking about this one, I'm not even gonna pronounce try to pronounce the, the name of it, but basically it was most likely a bird, is what we're referring to. And so these these young juvenile tyrannosaurs were going around basically eating the, the hind legs of these uh, bird-like dinosaurs, basically drumsticks, that's why I said earlier, do dinosaurs like (laughs) drumsticks, so, um, which, I mean, makes sense because I mean, let's think about it. Drumsticks are like the best part of the chicken. The best are. part of That's the turkey. True. So I don't yeah. blame the Tyrannosaur at all. i probably do the same thing. Um, I'm just winging these, uh, these puns here. Sorry. you just winging it. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> you got a leg up on the competition. Is that what you said earlier? Backstage. Yeah, backstage there. Um, but yeah, it's, it's so interesting, though, that they said that the, the stomach context were preserved after millions of years of fossilization. Makes sense, right? Well, I mean,
0: and this fossil is thought to be 75 million years old. And not only was the fossil self-preserved, but its stomach contents as well. Does that make sense in a secular worldview? Those things should be gone in thousands of years, uh, maybe tens of thousands, but definitely they should not last millions of years. Yet there yeah. they are. And again, similar thing with dinosaur soft tissue that we find repeatedly, literally all over the world. This soft tissue we find in dinosaur bones is still springy. It just should not be there within their worldview. Which,
2: yeah, makes yeah. sense from a biblical worldview. you talking does. about the global flood, that rapid barrel. some more confirmation that what we read in the Bible is true. <laughs>
1: And it's like we were saying, you know, the article kind of just says, wow, the, the Tyrannosaurus was very particular in what it ate. And it must have, you know, must have, uh, you know, just kind of preferred the drumstick part, you know, of these creatures because that's all that was found in his stomach. But we're like, no, let's imagine that, you know, a global flood's occurring, right? And so you have these small birds and they're fleeing. And the, yeah. tyr- the Tyrannosaurus rex decides, hey, I want to, I'm going to eat some lunch or snack whenever this happened. And he bites what he can off this creature. And then this global flood occurs, well, he wouldn't have had time Mm -hmm. to eat the rest of the organisms. So they definitely have to update
2: that front picture there showing the... You know, the bird-like dancer running away <laughs>
0: right. from the It's
1: the like piranosaur. there's no partiality on <laughs> which the which part of the Tricasaurus here. Right? Yeah,
0: <laughs> and you know, it's something we say very often, but it is so true and worth repeating just a little bit right now, and that is these bones you see on the screen here, these are evidence, it's evidence in the present that must be interpreted with your assumptions about the past. And if you start with the wrong worldview, the wrong ideology, you'll likely get the wrong conclusions. And so, again, your worldview plays a huge role in how you understand what you're looking at in the present. Just another good reminder of that. And speaking of worldviews, jump into the next article. It says this, that 22% of Americans identify as spiritual but not religious so this is a new poll done by the Pew Research Center, who does polls like every day of the year, I feel like.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, but the survey is examining spirituality among Americans. They interviewed roughly 1,000 or 11,000 United States adults from July through August with a margin of error of 1.4 percentage points. And they give you a whole list of data, uh, really just kind of showing there seems to be, in general, over the past few decades, a shift away from identifying as religious to being identifying more as spiritual but not necessarily religious.
1: It's kind of interesting because when they're saying, you know, the people that identified as spiritual but not religious, and they asked them questions like, well, you know, how often do you attend a, you know, worship service of any kind? And I think the statistics were like 2% of the people who were spiritual and not religious said, well, they're only going to church 2% of the time. But then the people that said they were religious and spiritual, they answered yes to both those questions. The questions are asked individually and separately to make sure they're not kind of clumping the data. And, you know, they said, well, we're in church. You know, significant, I think it's 40% of the time, those individuals are attending some type of church service, as well as participating in what they call a support group, or we would say like a small group within that community, whereas the ones who are just spiritual, very minimal, uh, even have that support network at a small group level.
2: And yeah, one of the things to notice is anytime you hear that word spiritual but not religious, that's really just a fancy way of saying that you're a humanist, right? That you're basing yourself on man's word, your own ideas. You're coming up with an imaginary God in your own image that kind of fits your own worldview there. Because newsflash, everyone is religious, right? It's, it's not a question of whether, but really a question of which. And so one of the things, like Brian was saying, is we're kind of she- seeing this shift as well. So for a long time, people you kind of saw this atheism kind of per- permeating the culture. But now we're seeing this more spiritualism. People want to be spiritual, which? Which makes sense, right? We live in a very materialistic world, and so there's this spiritual hunger from people. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says God has put the eternity on everyone's heart, right? So everyone has that longing, and so they're looking at it for, for, for some way. And Romans 1 says, you know, basically when you exchange the truth about God for a lie, you worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. So if we're not worshiping the true God of the Bible, then we're worshiping something that he has created. Uh, John Calvin puts it this way. He says the human heart is really an idol factor, right? So if we're not worshiping God, we're worshiping something. We're making an idol of Something. That's kind of basically what we're seeing here today. And one of the interesting parts I saw in this study here is they say 42% of spiritual but not religious respondents believe that religion causes division and intolerance, but wait a minute, right? By what standard, right? Because they've already rejected God's word where we actually get that standard, those biblical principles for division and intolerance, really. So what they're doing is they're borrowing from Christianity, yet rejecting the God of the Bible. So, and ironically, you think about it, Christianity is actually the most inclusive. You think about the gospel message, the gospel is for everyone, salvation is for everyone, whether male, female, slave, free, whatever tribe or nation that you want. So over and over again, we always see this inconsistency, these double standards that that are being applied here. And um, the other thing I thought that was no, was uh, really alarming from this um, as well, it's, it's something we say often here at our ministries, we're really losing the next generation because most of the, the spiritual but not religious, uh, they said the majority of them were younger Americans, um, usually in their 30s and 40s, definitely younger than 50. And so, again, it's just a reminder that we need to be making sure that we're trying to reach out to the next generation because everyone's, they're, they're desperate to find meaning and purpose and hope. And we know it's only possible with Christ that they can find that meaning. So it's just a reminder for us Christians to keep boldly speaking the truth of God's word to this next generation.
0: And to kind of bounce off what you just said, the inclusivity of Christianity is beyond comparison, because in Christianity every person has equal, inherent, indelible value because we're made in the image of a living God. Therefore we have values as, as human beings, as image bearers. All humans have the same problem which is called sin, and all humans are offered the same solution which is found in Christ, who we celebrate in Christmas time, his birth, and not only that his life, death, burial, and resurrection. And so the Bible says Actually, for anyone who will repent and put their faith in him, they can be saved. It's an offer available to all who repent and put their faith in Christ. That's amazingly inclusive, mm-hmm. whereas all these other religions are really are exclusive. You must abide by their particular ideology. And, and so as we see this, and what you said, Rob, is so poignant because when people in our culture today are really identifying as spiritual but not religious, That gives them the power in their mind to embrace some sort of higher power that's very nebulous, that's not really defined. Therefore, you can define morality for yourself. Therefore, if you want to redefine sexuality and redefine gender and redefine identity, you're free to do so. And you can still be right in your own eyes and still claim the moniker of spiritual while doing it. And so really, typically for many, this is a way to abandon objective truth as clarified in God's word to embrace really themselves as their own God.
1: And we definitely see the education bent in this article as well Absolutely. because yep. even in, in the survey results, you see that the I would say the predominant people who responded to being religious and spiritual were over the age of 50, but yet you see all these 30-somethings responding to this, oh, I'm spiritual but not religious, and that directly correlates to the educational because they point out what are the educational levels of the individuals that they surveyed saying that, you know, well, what was it, 30, 32% of them, other respondents had some college under their belt. 37% of yep. the people who responded to being spiritual, not religious, were what we call college graduates versus what they say, well, the ones who were just religious and spiritual, right, then say, well, they all had high school or less, 38% or less trying to say, well, the more educated you are, right, I guess more the enlightened that you are. And we see this over and over again. Uh, we've talked about this before on Answers News where. And well, today. They t- right, and they try to relate education directly to this enlightenment and this rejection of the biblical God. And I think that directly corresponds to the data where we would expect to see people over 50 who are from a different generation not as influenced by this secular education system that we see today, public school, as well as higher education, where there is really nothing but indoctrination. There. And this Going really
2: indoctrination there. is not just a secular yeah. school. So we're seeing a lot of Christian seminaries and Christian colleges That's out true. there that are also compromising God's word. So again, just a reminder as parents, be careful where you're sending your kids to school and getting, getting their education there.
0: And this indoctrination is not merely spiritual or moral. It's also about origins and history. That leads to our next article... I kind of like my segue there. There you go. <laughs> Earth may have had all the elements needed for life within it all along, contrary to theories that these elements came from meteorites. And so basically, in some way, I was talking about how scientists have predicted that the many elements needed for life, like sulfur and nitrogen, they first came to Earth from asteroid-type objects who carried these things to the Earth's surface many, many, many millions of years ago. But they say new research indicates that many of these elements, called volatiles or volatiles, may have existed in the Earth from the beginning. So these elements for life may have been here from the start instead of coming from asteroids. And what's the point of all this research? Why are they so excited about this? Well, they said this, understanding how these volatile elements made it to Earth helps us to better understand Earth's geologic history, our past, and it could teach us more about the habitability, the habitability, rather, of terrestrial planets beyond Earth. In other words, it can help us figure out how we can find life on other planets. And Rob, as a rocket scientist who worked with NASA for a long time, what is our main mission in every mission?
2: I was an out of this world explanation, by the way, Brian. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I was out of this world. <laughs> but really, yeah, it's uh, during my tenure career at NASA. Really, get past all the fluff and stuff. Get past all the media. Their number one goal with every single mission I ever worked on was the number one mission was trying to find life in outer space, some kind of evidence for life in outer space, and that's what's really driving um, a lot of this. R- research why did they want we're to find that? Today?
0: What's the point of trying to find this life in outer space?
2: Ultimately, what they're trying to do is they're trying to justify their evolutionary story because they believe if the, if life evolved naturalistically here on Earth, and it had to evolve somewhere elsewhere. And they're actually getting desperate. We found uh, thousands upon thousands of these so-called exoplanets, basically planets orbiting other stars, and not one of them is like the Earth. And so they're, they're, really, they're really getting desperate and trying to find that so-called Earth 2.0. But ultimately, here's what they're trying to do. Is they're, they're trying to explain the past, but they're leaving God's word out of it. And so they're trying to rely on a naturalistic evolutionary worldview to try to justify their story. And so we're seeing that time and time again with NASA, with a lot of these other uh, uh, different institutions that are out there. And so with this one, um, like Brian was saying, we had the popular idea that maybe these elements came from meteorites, but now they're saying, well, maybe these have been there all along, they're during Earth's formations. But one of the things I want you to notice is that they did not observe this. This is basically talking about the unobserved past. What they have to do is they have to come up with these, compu- uh, these computer models, these computational techniques, and really, if you've ever worked on models, if you've ever designed computer models, and again, not to say that they're bad, right? Computer models are great, but they do have limitations. Every single model is based on assumptions. So if you're using these assumptions, then it's going to draw certain conclusions. And most of the time what we see is these assumptions are never questioned, right? So they're always just assumed to be true. And so, of course, uh, they have these assumptions of earth formation. They're proving earth formation, so they're really just begging the question. You see that circular loop there. And so what they're trying to do is they're trying to find these answers, but they're struggling to find it because they have the wrong starting point.
1: And I think There was one particular sentence that I really appreciated. It said, in the isotopes left behind a signature after each formation stage, they're talking about the formation of the Earth over, you know, millions of years, that scientists can use as a kind of fingerprint.
2: Dr. Vera likes fingerprints. And
1: that really (laughs) caught my eye, because, you know, in forensic science, we use fingerprints for identification because people have unique fingerprints, and we can... You know compare that back to an exact person right? right we can match those things you can't do that in this case it's an incorrect analogy here you're they're making assumptions as rob was talking about to these different stages that no one was there to directly observe so you can't take something that you see in the present or traces of it and then try to compare it to something that's completely unobservable in the past. It's something we call historical science. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is not observational science, and it's always important to, to keep your eye out for that in these and articles.
2: really, regardless, even if Earth had all the so-called building blocks of life, that really does not automatically equal life. Think about the law of biogenesis, right? Yep. That says life only comes from life. That means, scientifically speaking, it's impossible for any life to come from non-life. So right there, both biblically and scientifically speaking, life cannot come from non-life. And so again, they're getting desperate to find that out there, and so really what we've been Seeing from the uh, just from the observable evidence we find in the universe is that it's a paradox for evolutionary worldview, right? Because it is absolutely necessary in their story to be able to find life in outer space, but it's consistent with the biblical worldview that says the earth is unique, designed for us to call home out of the entire cosmos.
0: And it's so interesting too. Those who embrace the secular evolutionary narrative, they will often accuse Christians or creationists of being anti-science. But to believe in evolution and the whole idea of evolution, you got to believe some really unscientific things. You got to get everything from nothing. That like goes against, you know, first law of all, thermodynamics. You get order out of chaos. Second law of thermodynamics violated through that. You have to get information from non-living, non-thinking matter, violating many laws of information. You have to get life from non-life, as you just said. And there are many more we could go through with time permitted. But really, evolutionary uh, narrative and ideology violates so many laws of science, it makes sense in the biblical worldview. <laughs> the author of life created life. God can do that by the power of his word, and it is a supernatural thing. And It makes sense in the biblical worldview. It is consistent that life should not come from non-life because it has to come from life itself, which is God. The secular worldview is inherently inconsistent again and again. It's actually anti-scientific on so many levels. Mm-hmm. Yep, moving on.
2: Speaking of. Genes arising from nothing.
0: (laughs) Speaking of something coming from nothing, it's like I saw the next article coming. I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but there it is. All right. This article says new genes can arise from nothing. And the summary tells us this. The complexity of living organisms is encoded within their genes. But where do these genes come from? It's a good question, by the way. Researchers at the University of Helsinki solved, resolved outstanding questions around the origin of small regulatory genes, and described a mechanism that creates their DNA uh, palindromes under suitable circumstances. These palindromes evolve into microRNA genes. And so it's interesting, you read the headline, New Genes Can Arise From Nothing. And then what this whole article is going to do is say, well, we can explain some variation in how some of these genes move around and lead to different sequences from existing genes or existing information and existing matter. They came from something already there, and it's all based on evolutionary ideology as well.
1: Mm -hmm. and they're comparing primates and humans here and so they're looking at their genomes and they see these differences right which we would expect to see especially from biblical worldview we're made in the image of god they're created according to their kind and when they're looking at these genetic codes they find these what we call variations or what they may say is like evolution that we see in the human genome that we're not seeing in the primate genome but once again like i said those those genes that genetic code I mean, God designed the DNA sequence of life at creation. We can see that in all living things. We see parameters in place that prevent things from reproducing out their created kinds. We would expect to see what we call distinct differences, and that is exactly what we do see. It's just information that was already there, what we call pre-existing information. There's no new information from nothing.
2: Yeah, And like Brian was saying in the last segment here, they're basically struggling with this question because information can't create itself, right? Information doesn't come from random chance processes. Information always comes from a mind, right? And so And that's exactly what we're seeing here. When we're looking at DNA, when we're looking at RNA, it's great confirmation of what God says in His word. But of course the evidence is right there in front of them, they don't want to uh, accept it because really it comes down to a spiritual issue. And it's interesting here is they, they talk about these DNA replication errors sometimes being beneficial. Right? That's one of the ma- major, uh, I think, miscon- uh, misconceptions that are out right. there for people. Um, the more accurate term was, would be like a beneficial outcome, right? So, in terms of the information, it's just usually it's either a loss of information or it's just rearranged. And that's what we're seeing here. We're seeing that rearrangement of different information. So, it's not coming from nothing. Very clickbaity uh, kind of uh, title here. And, and they also talk about using computer algorithms, that's computer models. And say so, they so so did not <laughs> observe this. Yeah. Um, again, right. just like we talked about in the last one. And it's, it's actually For the interesting, in the last uh, sentence here, they say, by using the raw materials generated by the newly found mechanism, natural selection may create much more complex RNA structures and functions. Wait a minute, natural selection can do stuff. I don't know if you knew that or not, but.
1: (laughs) They always try to equate natural uh, selection to evolution and. Uh, Natural selection is a loss of information. Mm -hmm. Evolution is a gain of information. They are not the same, but yet they'll always use it in conjunction with one another to see change as evolution, but that's just not the case. So bottom
2: line here, it's impossible for random Mm -hmm. chance. Yeah, it's required for molecules to man evolution. They have to have that new increase of information, but that's just not something that we see. We don't see a gain of information from these mutations. We always see either a loss of information or just a rearrangement that may result in the beneficial outcome at best.
0: I think it's worth saying uh, that the people who do this research, who do this science, it's not that they're dumb. They are brilliant, especially in their particular fields. we are not questioning their intelligence. What we're saying is their worldview leads them astray. Their wrong assumptions lead them in their wrong conclusions, and their wrong assumptions lead them to do a a whole lot of bad science and waste a lot of time, a lot of intellectual power and resources on these bad assumptions and reaching bad conclusions. They are very smart. It's their worldview that gives them the wrong interpretations and thus the wrong conclusions. And leads them astray and we we
2: can see that inconsistency because genesis 1 1 says that god created everything from nothing yet they reject that and they're okay by saying this magical mechanism is able to create genes from nothing right so you see that inconsistency they rather put their faith and hope in the magical mechanism based on maybe pseudoscience at best versus Genesis 1-1 that says God created the heavens and the earth.
0: Well, because what you guys said, ultimately, this is a spiritual, a spiritual issue. issue. So it's okay to say nature made everything, because if nature made everything, I can still be my own God. I'm and not
1: accountable to that's anybody, exactly, right? I can do whatever yeah. I want. I that's can do hard what's issue. right in my own eyes. And right, because, mm-hmm.
2: because if DNA yeah. really did come from a mind, an intelligent mind, God, the Bible, that means that they have to answer for their crimes against a holy God. And that's obviously not something that they want. So again, it's not a head issue. Really, it's a heart issue, and that's the heart of the problem.
0: It absolutely is. Moving from a heart issue to a turtle issue.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Terrible segue. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, 120
0: million year old plants turn out to be ultra rare fossilized baby turtles. And so basically what happened is there was a Colombian priest who roughly 50 years ago found these fossils. He thought these these fossils were plant fossils, and he interpreted them as such, and scientists accepted them as such, and they were thought to be that for decades. And then some people recently reassessed these fossils, took a closer look based for various reasons, come to find out these fossils weren't plant fossils. They were the fossils of baby turtles. You can see the shell on the screen there, and it does seem to make sense, and they seem to verify this was actually a turtle. And there were some interesting changes in the understanding of this fossil. Not only did it change from a plant to a turtle, So it shows you how wide the variation interpretation possibilities actually are in this. But then also, they thought that the the plant fossils were anywhere from 250 million to 400 million years old. But now they think it's a turtle, now they're thinking this fossil is roughly a hundred million years old. So we have got a rapid reduction in lifespan along with a change from a plant to a fossil. But what this again shows is, man, your assumptions, your interpretations, and your conclusions play such a primary role as you look at these things.
1: I think it's pretty cool because you know, I think it's a good example of how we, you know, science can adapt and change, right? Science yep. can evolve with our understanding, right? In the correct way. And so we're looking at this fossil and it's reinterpreted as yes, we were incorrect. It is actually a turtle, but you know, turtle, especially baby turtles are extremely fragile. Mm-hmm. So to see them preserved in this state is just another testament to right. the a the rapid burial, uh, which is what we see in most of the fossil record is a res- direct result of the global flood as described in Genesis.
2: Yeah, would you say that they were shell-shocked by this discovery, <laughs> Brian? <Orgy. laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, they were discovered to be turtles, not teenage mutant ninja turtles, yeah. just for the record. And yeah, the and, and it's
2: funny, like, they, they even mention it here. They say, uh, it's actually really rare to find hatchlings of fossil turtles in general. When the turtles were very young, the bones in their shells are very thin, so they can be easily destroyed. So, again, just more evidence of that rapid burial like we read about in the Bible. And like Ryan was saying, I mean, just more evidence that we are fallible creatures and more reason to not put our full trust in man's word, right? And they even mention that at the end, they say, uh, these aren't the first Cretaceous fossils from Columbia to be missing identified. Previous research has revealed that a uh, cocoa plant was actually part of a marine reptile jaw, and they also thought a fruit turned out to be a banana-shaped rock. So (laughs) again, it just shows that, um, you know, we're not perfect creatures, but that's why it's so important that we start with a perfect creator and his word, the infallible word of God.
0: And I've got to read my favorite line from the entire article. Uh, <laughs> this person says this, In paleontology, which is the study of fossils, mm-hmm. your imagination and capacity to be amazed are always put to the test. Imagination there. Your imagination mm-hmm. is how far can you stretch your imagination because, again, you've got to interpret things within your worldview. Yep, yep. I might use that quote later on in a different presentation, by the way. <laughs> Moving on from turtles to, well, I wish we could still talk about turtles, this article, a Seattle student failed quiz for saying men can't get, preg- can't get pregnant. And so what happened is, uh, it opens up like this article does, a history teacher, they called it an activist history teacher, indeed they were, gave a quiz to their 10th grade students in the Ethnic Studies World History class. And the quiz was on understanding gender versus sex. And one student, as he's taking the quiz, the question was asked, uh, or the statement was made, only women can get pregnant, true or false? And uh, of course, the student answered true, only women can get pregnant, and the teacher said he was wrong, and he, she, they kind of like question wrong, and he was docked for that. And then of course, his mother called in, concerned that his, her student, her son was being basically forced to say something against his beliefs, and it got to be a whole big to-do for obviously really good reasons. But yeah, so in a real sense, many students are being indoctrinated to a new sexual ideology.
1: And even though in science class, they'll learn that, yes, only women can get pregnant, right? That's just basic biological uh, sciences. But we see here this differentiating between what we call gender and sex. And that's what's happening in this culture today is, well, you're born with the biological sex, but... You can identify with whatever gender you choose, and I don't know. We're up to what four hundred different I identifications I lost count. now. Yeah. I don't know. I've lost count of how many things you can identify as, uh, but. That is what they're directly doing here is trying to push a social justice. It just
2: movement. amazes me how far a culture can drift in just one generation. I mean, think about just mm-hmm. one generation ago. This was people weren't even talking about this. Like, yeah, This was just an assumed fact here.
1: I always say my grandparents wouldn't even understand. Yeah, they like, wouldn't they even would even see this article yeah, even, and they no wouldn't even be able to underwrite. They wouldn't be able to comprehend I think it's just
2: a reminder as Christians, we need to wake yeah. up and really stand against the madness that's being preached in so many schools across this nation today. It's just more evidence that we're living—we really are living in the Romans 1 culture today that has just lost its Mind. I mean, this this culture today can't even define what a man and the woman is anymore, and it's also just for a, just a, a warning for parents who do send their kids to public school systems <laughs> that this could be happening in your school system, right? This is from an ethnic studies world history teacher that's asking these types of quizzes. So, um, and speaking of schools, we actually have a great opportunity if you guys are in this area. We have Answers Academy, so if you that's guys right. are looking for a really solid. Uh, biblical worldview-based education. Um, you guys can find that out. Uh, jump onto our website. Brand
1: new building. They're getting Brand ready to move HQ. in this Christmas. Um, it yep. is, I mean, we've been yeah. able to walk around, and it's yeah. just uh, it's just a very just a as, fantastic educational space. As parents, space. it's so
2: important that yeah. you make yeah. sure that your kids, the next generation, is getting the proper biblical worldview that they need.
1: And from kindergarten all the way through 12th grade, they start That's with the right. building blocks, the foundational concepts, and then just build on that. That's and what it's that just makes amazing them so unique. what they graduate with as high schoolers. It's fantastic. Well, Second to none.
0: Oh, it is awesome. Sorry. Yeah. I was just going to say, Rob, to your point, uh, understand that it's not just that one class or that one teacher. The mom called the school, and the article says this. When she called the school, she was met with silence, and she was shocked that her mm-hmm. students being forced to give answers against their students' belief. And then she also said that the school actually defended the quiz mm-hmm. because the quiz was inclusive, <laughs> arguing that it was appropriate for their class, for their school system. Actually, They said this, the Seattle Public Schools is dedicated to establishing inclusive environments that allow exploration of contemporary issues, specifically examining the impacts of power systems uh, such as racism and patriarchy. And actually she said her son many times had been accused of being a racist and being part of the patriarchy, having so-called privilege because he is white. And that's based on critical race ideology. So this critical race theory, this critical theory of Marxist ideology, divides oppressors into the oppressed, is dominating the cultural landscape. They're being forced to be conformed into that ideology. Her son is being harassed because of his skin shade. How racist is that? And his ideology, how intolerant is that? And it's being supported by the schools.
1: It's just more indoctrination. Mm-hmm. It's that's indoctrination. It mm-hmm. and
0: so if you if you haven't thought about homeschooling or a great Christian school. Now's a great time to do it. It really is.
2: Yeah, so much for tolerance, so much for inclusiveness. And the mom even said, she said, I keep trying to wrap my head around how it is legal to teach inaccurate information and force students to answer against mm-hmm. their beliefs or receive negative scores. Just a reminder, really, that school systems are not neutral, right? Um, and, and there really is no tolerance that's happening, especially for Christian beliefs today. And it's, it's because these schools are forcing its religious beliefs to Well, it says they want the, the students,
1: students to be able to express their authentic selves. That's what the, yeah, the school system yeah. actually but said. But not the Christian students. Right. But not it's, the Christian students.
2: Yeah. At this foundation, it's really based on yeah. just this ideology that your supposed to feelings basically trump any kind of objective mm-hmm. truth, scientific, biblical reality. Tr- really, feelings are always above truth in this worldview. And that's really no surprise when society mm-hmm. rejects the truth of God's word, anything goes, right? Judges, Judges 21 25. In a culture that hates the truth, whenever they hear the truth of God's word, they're going to go against it. Mm-hmm.
0: And speaking, I'm going against the truth of God's word and uh, the result's actually not going against it. This is actually going back to God's word, which is a good thing in this particular article. USC significant decline in abortion clinics with 137 shut down in the last two years. So since the overturn of Roe v. Wade, we've seen 137 abortion clinics shut down around the U.S., which is phenomenal. We praise God for that. Yes, I mean, we should definitely applaud that. Uh, We currently have roughly 670 abortion clinics in the U.S., which is still 670 too many. But it's uh, down from 2,176 back in 1991. So there's been a definite decrease in abortion clinics. That's been saving lives, which is wonderful because each life is made in the image of God from fertilization. We praise God for that. So this is good. But also bear in mind, it doesn't tell the whole story because nowadays you got the yeah. abortion I was going to say, most of that's right? linked
1: to online abortion, right? So you yep. can order things online. We've talked about this on mm-hmm. here in the past, how you can just do it yourself. There's the morning after pill. There's all these, you know, we would say mechanisms in place for women to no longer have to go to an actual clinic. So I think part of this decline is part of that. Uh, as we see this move to online platforms. Yeah,
2: Yeah, we can praise God that lives are being saved today. Mm -hmm. But just a reminder, too, that Roe v. Wade, um, when they overturned it, they basically simply pushed the battle to the state level. And so we're seeing this war now being more intensified than ever before. Um, States are now even enshrining abortion, so-called rights, into the Constitution, like Ohio, for example, just did that. And more and more states are trying to do that. So again, just a reminder, as Christians, let's keep praying, let's keep fighting the good fight, right? Let's not let up. And one of the things that they mentioned here in the article Articles they talk about uh, there were 14 states that are now abortion-free: Alabama, Arkansas, Kentucky, and a whole bunch of others. Um, we have to quite we have to kind of be careful when saying abortion-free because it's not quite accurate, right? It, basically, what they're meaning is that there's no clinics in that state, but again, women are still doing the D-I- DIY do-it-yourself abortions with the pills, um, and sadly, that's happening more and more. Um, and also, a, a lot of women are also traveling across state lines, or even getting financial assistance, financial help to do that, basically to kill their child by uh, crossing state lines. For example. In Kentucky, a lot of the women here are crossing state lines into Ohio to be able to kill their child and then coming back. So let's make sure that we continue fighting this fight. Let's stand up for the preborn. We've got some
0: resources here that can help us stand a fight against some of the issues that we talked about today. Guys, can you kind of run through those just really quickly?
1: Do so you want to talk about dinosaurs? This is an excellent dinosaurs, book. Dinosaurs, Dragons, and the
2: Bible. It's an amazing book here. I actually helped both put this together. So if you guys want to learn more about really that, uh, that connection between dinosaurs, what dragons are talked about frequently in the Bible, make sure you guys check this out. Very powerful book. It's going to answer a lot of the most common questions people have regarding dinosaurs and dragons and really giving you that biblical worldview to look at that topic. As well as this one, The War on Christmas. Christmas is right around the corner. And as we know, we're living in a culture today that's uh, really at war with Christ and the God's Word. And so because they're at war with Christ, they're at war with Christmas today. Uh, very unique book. It was written by a, a multitude of different authors. Also has a lot of the uh, m- misconceptions about Christmas, too, yeah. a lot of the traditions. And so uh, very unique opportunity to really teach you and your family, really just the, the reason for the season, right? Why do we celebrate Christmas? Well, it's because of the long-awaited Messiah. So it's to really help you equip your family to really celebrate Christmas for the right reason this year.
0: And by the way, while you're saying that, if you guys have not been yet to the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter during Christmas time, Christmas Town, be sure you come here at the museum in particular. We have multiple shows like Christmas mm-hmm. Truths for families, going mm-hmm. through some of those misconceptions about Christmas. Yeah. Multiple dra- dramatic presentations mm-hmm. from biblical characters, giving you the real focus and real point of Christmas. It is so powerful, and so Christ-focused. It is yep. so come. Mm-hmm.
1: And it's free. It's only $10 for a car full, so come on and visit us. We also have Divine Nation, one of our core resources by Ken Ham. He's going to talk about how our culture is in crisis uh, and how you can have that biblical discernment to help you kind of weed out those issues and how to look at it through the lens of God's perfect word.
0: Mm -hmm. And then when we're talking backstage, we're talking about finding the turtles. Yes, I was telling telling Brian,
1: because Brian's actually going to be one of the our speakers on the next Dino Dig, which is uh, next summer in July. And when uh, Dr. Georgia Perman and I were there uh, in the year last year in 22, we actually, uh, one of the ladies with us found a turtle shell and it was like, it had to be at least this big. It took them several hours to actually dig it out um, of the mountainside and we had to plaster jacket Ah, it to get it back. But to find one complete, it was considered Mm -hmm. an extremely rare find. So I don't know if it's on display yet at the Glendive Museum, it might be now. Uh, But they were gonna on display nice. there because it was so unique but pretty cool but very fragile again so you have to handle it with care. Sounds
2: like there's only a few more spots left on there's this trip. There's only right? five so sure spots left
1: on this Come trip. On. Register. Great,
2: great Christmas gift.
0: Great gift for right? Christmas gift. Oh my yeah. goodness and so I'm so excited to go dig up some balls talk about dinosaurs it's gonna be a great time. Give an
1: experience instead of stuff right? Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Lifetime so good. memories. Absolutely
0: yeah. yes. And then just a couple of quick other things. We have some great resources to think about for your teaching of your kids or Sunday school or something like that. A Bible curriculum for toddlers, Truth for Toddlers.
1: That's my granddaughter's favorite book. Is it really? Yes. Oh, Huge picture. Good. She just yeah. mesmerized by I great it. teaching. All three of my
2: kids. Fantastic. I have a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and a two-year-old. They great. love that mm-hmm. as well. So it's, it's a very, very yes. powerful book.
0: And so some of those same truths are communicated at deeper levels in our Answers Bible curriculum, both the Sunday school version and the Homeschool version. It's a powerful curriculum, so I encourage you to check that out, Impl- implement that in your homes, and your mm-hmm. churches, such a great resource. And then one last quick thing as we're wrapping up here, also, we created a resource to really share the full account of Christmas during this Christmas season. Because all of history is indeed his story. It's all about Christ. And if you go to our website, just look up all of history is his story. There's a PDF you can download. It will give you a summary of the Christmas account from Genesis to Revelation. All the biblical passages showing how the entire Old Testament points to Jesus. Now all the Bible is about Christ. And really what we celebrate during Christmas is not only the birth of Christ, but also why he came to redeem us from our sins. Why are we sinners? Well, the first man sinned. We all descend from him. That's why we're sinners by nature, by choice, and we need saving through the last Adam, Jesus Christ. That
1: sounds like a great Christmas Eve family devotion. It's really well done.
0: It looks really good. Go download it, print it out, read it with your friends and family. A great way to be focused on Christ this Christmas. Amen. Merry Christmas, everyone. That's the time I got. Merry Christmas, and we'll see you guys next time. Take care. All right.